Thank you for listening to our Truth in Life podcast. This season, we will survey the Bible's unfolding story of redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, every book points to Christ and edifies His church. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. All right. Well, like we've done every morning before we get started, we're going to go through each book. Okay? Nice and quick. One to two sentences. Judges. What was it about? Did what was right in their own eyes. Yep. Yep. There was no king. They did what was right in their own eyes. Very good. Okay. Ruth. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. A beautiful redemption story, right? Uh, First Samuel. There was no king in Israel, right? In Judges, that's what it said a lot. So First Samuel was the Israelites asking for a king. Yeah. So the kingship was started. Um, and then we see Saul, David, uh, and then 2 Samuel. David. David. Yeah, pretty much David's yeah, kingship and God establishing a covenant with David. Very good, John. Very good. All right. And now we're getting into 1 Kings. So this book can pretty much be described as the rise and fall of Israel's kingdom. Um, you see the highs, and you, you will, we will see the lows. Um, we have the ascension of Solomon, which is David and Bathsheba's son, uh, to the throne of Israel. The first half of the book will cover his, his, uh, his reign. And then the second half will be the history of the, divide, the divided kingdoms of the Israel of, in the north and Judah, the kingdom of the south. Um, yeah, here is where we are on the timeline, about right here, 970 B.C. is when uh, Solomon will start, and then 930 is when the division of the kingdom, and the, these graphics are on your outline if you want to scan them. This one is also, I think, on the outline. Uh, this is just a zoomed in view because this is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about kind of going back and forth between the, king, the kings of both the northern Israel and the southern Judah, which um, kind of the delineation, uh, the Bible kind of talks about, did they either do evil in the sight of the Lord or did they please God? So if they were in the northern kingdom of Israel, they did evil. They were all evil and they did no good. Um, Easy to remember, so. And that'll give you a kind of an indication. Here's the northern kingdom. Samaria was their capital, and then the southern kingdom here with Jerusalem uh, being the capital. And that was two tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin, and then the other ten tribes of the north. Okay, so last week, as we said, we talked about King David. Uh, he unified the tribes of Israel into the kingdom, and God promised that from his line he would establish a messianic king who would establish God's kingdom over all of us, over the nations, and fulfill the promise uh, God gave to Abraham, to Isaac, uh, and to Jacob. So 
it was written to show the causes of the establishment uh, and the decline of the kingdom. When loyal to God alone, the people flourished. But when loyal to what they wanted to do, they, they did not. Uh, they were, God blesses the obedient, he punishes the disobedient, and he, um, he forgives the penitent. So we just need to keep that in mind. Um, the author's unknown. It's thought that it could have been Jeremiah, but we don't, don't totally know it. The two books of Kings, kind of like Samuel, they were one volume, um, and they were split up when they were um, translated into Greek. And it will, we will talk about, as we said, the accession of King Solomon in 970 BC, and the final exile of the people of Judah to the land of Babylon will be the end of 2 Kings. So we'll get that whole history. Uh, and the dividing point of the two books is King uh, Ahaziah, which is the son of Ahab, which was a very wicked king in Israel. It was said that he did more wicked than all the kings uh, before him. So not a good guy. Um, as we see from First Chronicles, David, as we, as we saw last week, he wanted to make the temple. He wanted to, to build the temple for God. Uh, God. God said, no, but I will establish your, your kingdom. And uh, actually, David, David did do a lot to help uh, Solomon in, in building the temple. Um, he helped prepare uh, Solomon. He, he gathered the goods. So uh, that, that's a kind of a, a helpful tidbit. He, he, didn't, he did play a, a, a pretty big part in the construction of the, of the temple. Um, he also instructed Solomon about the responsibilities of the temple um, and of, about God and how to lead the people uh, in following the Lord. Um, that leads us into the outline. Part one, it's broken down into four parts here. Uh, part one is just Solomon establishing his kingdom after David. So. He makes some, he kills some unfaithful leaders and he establishes his own guys uh, that he puts in, in charge. Part two is just kind of the glory of the kingdom. It's, it's the kingdom's thriving. Uh, Solomon's seeking God and doing well. Um, and, it's, it's, and this is when uh, he erects the temple and everything seems to be going great. And part three, uh, well, he thinks don't go so great. He starts to uh, listen to his wives. He has 700 wives, so he starts to listen to them and to seek after their gods and obey them instead of the one true God. So also not good. Uh, and then part four is kind of that it describes the split of the kingdom and, and all the kings that come after uh, Solomon. So we'll get into part one here. The establishment of, king, of the kingdom under Solomon. So at this point, King David, he's old and sick, uh, and his servants seek out Abishag, which is a, a virgin Shunammite woman who, who lays with him because he's old, sick, he can't keep warm. Uh, so he, he will try to... Uh, he, he, so he's old, and he doesn't, he doesn't have a plan at this point. God gave him Solomon as... as his reign is, is his successor, but he hasn't really told anybody. Um, and people are trying to, to fight for the throne. P prideful men are trying to take over uh, Israel uh, and, and trying to do uh, 
what they have planned and not what, what God has planned. So there's disagreement, there's leveraging over who the next king is. Uh, and although God has already revealed to David that Solomon will be the successor, Adonijah, which is Solomon's older brother, he thinks he's, he know, he's, he's the rightful king. So he, he tries to take over. Um, and he declares himself king, with, along with some of some trusted advisors of, of Solomon and David. Uh, he, he gains a lot of support. Um, and David, being sick and old, he doesn't really know that this is going on until he's told by, um, by Bathsheba, actually. And uh, then he is kind of forced, his hand is forced to, uh, to declare that Solomon is going to be king. So uh, he, he has Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, his uh, military leader. Uh, they, they take Solomon and anoint him and declare him king of, over Israel. Uh, and then David has Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and, and also Benaiah. They take him on, a, on his mule, on David's mule. And this is kind of a, a public declaration that Solomon is king. And all of this takes place with... Uh, while Adonijah is having a feast, he's, he's kind of declaring himself as king, and, and this takes place, and uh, a big old sound uh, trumpets, and everyone knows that Solomon is king. So then that, the feast that uh, Adonijah is, is planning and having is kind of just, it's stopped. And all the people uh, of Israel go to Solomon, they bow down to him, and they anoint him as king. After Solomon is anointed, uh, David gives some instruction. He, he says to his son, he tells him, I'm about to go to the way of the earth. He knows that he's going to die. Um, Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do. And wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their, to the way, to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness, with all their heart, with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So we see this a lot. We see God's promises uh, to, to his people that if, if they walk in his way, he will bless them, and if they don't, he, he will judge them. Um, David's ad advice to his son, be strong and be a man. Show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord. He, he, knows, he knows the challenges Solomon will face as, as king, as, as ruler over Israel. He knows the temptations that a powerful king will have. And uh, Solomon, he, he's going to have more means than he's going to know what to do with. He's going to just have everything he's ever wanted. And that's, that's dangerous. We'll see that. He needs to stand firm in, in the faith of God and in God. And, and if he does, he will be blessed generationally. And if he doesn't, he will be judged. Um, we also know from First Chronicles that uh, David called together the leaders of Israel in order to give them detailed instructions on the continuing worship of God, the organization of God, and the functioning of the army. So he, he does eventually uh, make plans and tell his, his people how to, to run this, this nation. 
after a long eventful life, David, David dies at a good old age. Uh, it says, full of days and riches and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. So with the death of his father, the reign of Solomon begins. And um, he sets about establishing his reign. His first acts uh, mentioned are righting some wrongs from the past. He punishes some of the rebels. The first being Adonijah. Uh, after Adonijah tries to take the throne, he actually um, he tries to, to uh, take David's concubine, Abishag, the, the, um, the woman who was uh, nursing David towards the end of his life. And this is kind of a, a show of power. He wanted to, to take, take another crack at the throne. So this is what he was doing. Um, even though David didn't sleep with her or have relations with her, it, it was known that she was his concubine. So it, it was kind of, it was Abishag's uh, way of getting, uh, getting to the throne. And uh, Solomon doesn't like this, so he has Benaiah kill him. Um, and then Abathir, Ab Abiathar, sorry, the priest is removed from his position uh, because he was, uh, along with Adonijah, was trying to claim the throne. And Joab, the guy who we kind of talked a lot about last week, who was uh, a man of bloodshed, he was also uh, killed um, for the executions of Abner and Amasa. And that is kind of how he establishes his authority. He starts killing people. And then we get into part two. Once Solomon has secured his throne, he enters into an alliance with, with Egypt. He marries Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, she's not his first wife, um, but uh, he, it, it is mentioned that he does marry her. And it seems that uh, he, she is actually following God and not turning him away from the Lord, uh, as we can, can't say the same about his future wives. Um, the earlier years of Solomon have been described as kind of the golden ages of Israel. Um, these years were made famous by Solomon, his character, his wisdom, uh, his deeds. And throughout this section, we, we actually see Solomon's humility at first. Uh, he is, he's, he's wise. This wisdom is given by God after he asks for it from God. Uh, we see Solomon constructing the temple. We also see... Uh, he constructs his palace, which is a little bigger and a little nicer than the temple, it's, uh, which is a little interesting. Uh, he increases his cities, wealth, and fame. So he's, he's doing uh, really well, and it, it's said that there's no one greater than Solomon. In the beginning of his reign, as, we, as I said, Solomon is humble. He seeks the blessing of God at, upon his reign. He offers... 1,000 burnt offerings on the bronze altar, and uh, the Lord appears to Solomon. He, he's, he offers one request to Solomon, and Solomon humbly asks for an understanding heart to judge his people. So he doesn't ask for riches. He doesn't ask for wealth. Uh, he asks for, for wisdom, and this pleases God, and this is what uh, his response was. He says, because you've asked this and you have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. 
Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So God, God gives to Solomon abundantly. He does not hold back. He grants him his wisdom beyond all others. And in addition to this, he gives him an abundance of riches and honor. So next we're going to talk about Solomon's wisdom. An example of Solomon's wisdom is, uh, is in the handling of the two prostitutes when they both have babies. One of their babies dies in the night and then they go to the king because they're quarreling over whose baby died. Um, both mothers are claiming the child. Obviously one is lying. You know your children, even if they're new, you, you know them. Um, Solomon solves the dilemma by saying, we'll just cut it in half and then you can each have you know, a half of the baby. And then one of the women said, no, don't do that. You can just give her to the other woman. And in that, in, in that he found the true mother. So his wisdom uh, was unrivaled. It started to spread across the land and to the surrounding nations. And people knew that Solomon was the wisest man on earth. So things were going well for Solomon, as I said. This is uh, kind of the extent of Solomon's kingdom. He even goes beyond of what David did. Um, and he makes treaties with surrounding nations. He's, he has people all over coming to pay tribute to him. So he's, he's, uh, he's, he's living the high life. Um, the Lord now gives Solomon rest. So he gives him rest. And this, is, this was prophesied um, or told to David by God that he would have rest so he could erect the temple and, and build the temple. So this is what he sets off to do. Um, the building of the temple is described in, in a couple chapters. It's pretty in-depth. It, uh, it shows that Solomon's concern for, for the temple was to glorify God, to obey him, and uh, he spared no expense in the building of, of a, a magnificent temple for God, for the worship of God. Solomon seemed really to have been raised up specifically for this purpose, to erect this temple. And as we remember from last week in 2 Samuel, when David wishes to build a house for the Lord, the Lord responds by saying, I will rise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So from scripture, we know that David, although he didn't erect the temple, he played a big part in planning it, as I, as I said earlier. Uh, and he prepared Solomon for this work. Um, it took seven years for Solomon to construct this temple. Uh, he used tens of thousands of enslaved men. He spared no expense taxing the people. The people were taxed pretty heavily. And uh, this impressive structure was made for the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant was then brought in. And King Solomon and all the congregations of Israel rejoiced. They praised God. They sacrificed. It said that they sacrificed so many sheep and oxen that they could not even count. So they counted a thousand sheep and oxen. That seems like a lot to me. So they, they must have just been killing a bunch of animals. So it was a, a great time. 
all the congregation of Israel. Oh, after that, after all of the, uh, the, the killing of the animals, the sacrifices, the Lord came into the house. It filled the house. And everyone was filled with amazement. So it must have been a really amazing sight. Solomon then addresses the people. Uh, he reminds them of how God is and that he is a God that fulfills his promises. His promise to David, his promise to Abraham, he's, it's all coming to fruition here. And then it talks, kind of mixes in, it, it has a little blurb about Solomon's palace. So mixed in with that account of building the temple, it talks of, of uh, him having a, a palace that's quite a bit larger than the house of God. Um, and it took six more years to build. So this, the building of the temple took seven years and the building of the palace took 13 years. Uh, this could mean that there were just significantly, significantly more workmen uh, building the temple. It could also mean that the king's palace was just better or bigger, and well, it was. Uh, the, and that could be a problem. So God visits Solomon a second time uh, after, the, after Solomon's prayer, benediction and dedication of the temple, and he warns him. Um, the account kind of starts, starts like this. He, he, uh, he came in when Solomon finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon had desired. That's, that's how it starts. So Solomon had everything that he ever wanted or desired, and the Lord appeared to him. He's, God says to Solomon that he needs to walk in his ways. So he, he, he again tells him, look, you did it. Now you need to be obedient. You need to walk in my ways, um, the ways of David, in order to uh, establish his kingdom over Israel forever. God also says that there will be consequences if he does not. Uh, and if his sons turn away, if he transgresses the Lord's command and serves other gods, he will cast them out of his sight and he will become a heap of ruins. So at this point, sorry guys, there's the temple or what it may have looked, may have looked like. I get on a roll and I forget to click. So. All right, so, and then, uh, so at this point, it doesn't really seem like anything can go wrong for Solomon. He's, he's doing everything right. Uh, so what happens next? He turns away from God. Everything's going good and he turns away from God. We see the consequences of turning from God and turning to his passions. So this is part three. Um, he had many foreign wives. These women turned his heart away from God. Uh, the decline of Solomon can, can kind of be brought by, it was brought by a, a few things, his extravagant lifestyle, his notorious lust, and this caused him to turn from God, to, to love women and to love their gods and serve their gods to please the women and not God. He built high places for the gods of Baal, for the foreign gods, Asherah, uh, and because of this, the Lord's anger burned. And we see God uh, said to Solomon in, in chapter 11, 
He says, therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my commandments and my statutes that I have commanded you, I, surely, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. So we see here God still remaining faithful to David, uh, faithful to his promises, and he will give one tribe to uh, Rehoboam, which is Solomon's son, for David's sake. So after these, uh, these words are spoken to Solomon, the Lord begins to raise up adversaries to Solomon. One of these being Jeroboam, uh, which was one of his servants. So we see here that uh, Ahijah the prophet, he visits Jeroboam and he tells him that God's judgment is going to be upon Solomon. Uh, he tears his cloak into 12 pieces. He gives 10 pieces to Jeroboam, uh, signifying that he will have 10 tribes. And then he gives, uh, he gives a, a tribe also to, to Judah. So it's Judah and Benjamin and then the northern, the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, so Solomon then hears about this prophecy, uh, and he seeks to kill Jeroboam, his servant, he, which causes Jeroboam to flee to Egypt, and, uh, he'll, and that's where he'll be in exile for the rest of uh, Solomon's life. So Solomon, he, instead of turning to God at this point, he, he, takes, things in, he takes matters into his own hands, and uh, this shows Solomon's Solomon's heart towards the end of his life and um, a heart that was once full of zeal and full of uh, serving, serving God. He trusts in his wisdom and, and not God's. So after a 40-year reign, Solomon dies around 930 BC, which is really around the time that the kingdom is divided. His death coincides with, uh, well, Rehoboam, his son, takes the throne. Uh, and he, he makes people pretty angry. He worsens the taxation, uh, the burden of taxation on the people. This was done against the uh, advisement of the, the wise elders. He listens to his foolish friends. And uh, the people don't like that. They revolt. So Rehoboam tries to stop this revolt by assembling uh, Judah and Benjamin to fight against the 10 tribes and God stops him. He says, don't do this, you can't. And then uh, the people as a whole, they, so at this point, it's not going well, they're divided. So um, the people have turned from God. They have forgotten his law. They've violated his covenant and disobeyed the commands of the Lord. They've turned to pagan gods, they've turned to heathen gods and and once a strong united kingdom that we just talked about uh, under David, it's no longer. It's divided. They're squabbling nations. And they're just, they're living for themselves and not for the glory of God. So this, part four, is how this plays out. The two kingdoms divided. So there again is the, uh, the two kingdoms, uh, the northern tribes of Israel, the ten tribes in, in the southern, right there. 
So the rest of the way throughout the first and second kings, we, we will see both kingdoms uh, really going as their kings go. If the king follows and fears the Lord, then the people will, and their kingdom will prosper. If the king does not, uh, the, do, and does evil in the sight of the Lord, then the people will, and they will get judged. And as I said, Israel, the northern kingdoms, are wicked and uh, do evil in the sight of the Lord. And we'll get uh, into Jeroboam. He is the first king in uh, the northern Israel. Although the Lord gave Jeroboam, a, he was part of the wonderful promises through the prophet Ahijah, uh, he doesn't trust in God. He turns uh, from his ways. He, he does evil in the sight of the Lord. And, uh, and he, he makes calves, golden calves uh, of worship. He makes alternative places of worship because he doesn't want his northern people going down to Jerusalem to worship. He thinks that they will just turn, turn back to Judah and to uh, Rehoboam. Um, so out of fear, he, he, he doesn't fear, he fears man, he doesn't fear God, uh, and he makes bad decisions um, and disobeys the words of the Lord. Uh, Rehoboam is the leader of Judah, the king of Judah, and he uh, seeks to establish himself in Judah as, as the ruler. He builds strong cities. Uh, he, he does an okay job of, of ruling at first, but he, he eventually forsakes the law of God. He, he's a prideful king. He, he seeks after uh, the, the temple uh, he, he takes the, the temple shields and all the gold um, fittings that David made and he, or Solomon made and he, he, he takes them for his, himself and it's, it's kind of wicked. And he is, uh, he's judged by the Egyptian king who comes in and makes, makes the people slaves over him. Um, and next in line to the throne is Abijam. And really, we're just going to kind of go down these. Either they did evil in the sight of the Lord feared the, or feared the Lord. I can't get into too many details here. Um, so Abijam was Rehoboam's son. He, there was war between Abijam and, and Jeroboam throughout uh, his reign. He was a wicked king, and he, he did all the ways of his father, uh, Rehoboam. And uh, still for David's sake, he, he kept a son in, in line for the throne. So we still see God working things for the good of those who love him. Uh, and then it goes on to Asa, which was a king of Judah. He comes to the throne. He enjoys a peaceful reign. And he, actually, he, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So we see a contrast of kings uh, in, in Judah who do, who do right. He removed the pagan altars, he demolishes pillars, and um, chops down the wooden images, bandages, banishes people who are doing perverted things, and he's, he's seeking to obey God, and the people follow. Uh, the next part of the first kings, we see the notorious King Ahab, so he's, he's a wicked man. Um, he, for 35 years, Israel's ruled by six godless kings. 
Most of them reign for very short periods of time and only are told just by their wickedness. And then we get to King Ahab. He exceeds all of them in wickedness. He does evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Shows contempt for the word of God. Honors, he dishonors God by marrying uh, Jezebel, who is the daughter of the king of the Sidonians. And uh, he, he builds uh, temples for Baal. He sets up altars to worship him in the city in Samaria, which is the capital of Israel. And he completely disregards the warning of God by rebuilding Jericho. And during this time, they, they sacrifice children to, to build the, the city of Jericho. It's a truly wicked time. Um, prophets of the Lord are outlawed. Priests are persecuted, put to death. And the worship of the true God is banished. So it's, it's a bad time. And, and during this bad time, God raises up a man. He, his name is Elijah. He's a prophet of the Lord. And he was, uh, he was called to be a prophet to Israel, to, to the northern kingdom. Um, because of, I mean, it's a, it's a testimony of God's grace that he still tried to send messengers to the northern kingdom. Um, even when they were doing these wicked things. Uh, he, he tried to urge these people to true repentance. He, he wanted people to seek after God and, and turn to Him. That was his goal. It was a hard, hard task. Because of the wickedness brought about by King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, Elijah brings the message of a drought. So there's a three and a half year drought in which he's a part of. So. God uh, actually sustains Elijah by, by bringing ravens and having them drop off food to him. It's, it's kind of a crazy thing to think about, but God is, uh, he's creator and he's, he's author over everything and he, he's, he makes things happen. Um, he multiplies, he eventually uh, goes to a, a widow who has a, a house and they don't have much of anything. They have a jar of of flour and, and some oil. And he susta he's sustained by that. Her, his him and the household is, are sustained just by a jar of flour for a, about three years. Um, and after the three and a half years, Elijah returns to see King Ahab. And at this time, Ahab witnesses the power of God. Um, so the 450 prophets of Baal go up against Elijah. They try to, try to do a miracle of, of doing an offering, uh, trying to have their God send down fire and, and making an offering to, the, to their gods. Um, obviously, the, the gods of Baal could not do that. They, the prophets of Baal could not do that. And Elijah, he could. He asked God to send down fire, and, and it happened. Um, and everyone was amazed. Uh, and King Ahab, he, he was amazed, but then he went and told his wife about it, and she said, go kill Elijah. So King Ahab was, was a coward. Uh, and when Jezebel finds out about it, she, she seeks to kill Elijah, and he, he flees. He's, at this point, he's very down on himself, uh, and he actually says that he wants to die, and, and he, he takes refuge in God. He's encouraged by an angel of the Lord, and uh, 
he wakes up and the Lord tells him to eat bread. And uh, that sustains him. He takes a journey from, from uh, the northern kingdom of Israel down to Mount Horeb, which is down way south. Right here. 40 days and 40 nights. <coughs> Travels all the way down there. Because God tells him to. And then uh, he seeks after God. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah thinks he's alone in this fight. But God reassures him that there are many souls to be saved. Uh, he gives him further instruction on what to do. And one of, these, one of these instructions is to seek out his successor, Elisha. Uh, at this time, we know that there are still 7,000 who have not bowed down to Baal. So he's, he's made aware of this, and he reassures Elijah that he's still, there's still work to be done, and he reassures him. Uh, and then it gets, goes on to mentioning Jehoshaphat, which, which is the next, next king in line, and he's a godly king like uh, his father Asa in Judah. And uh, that is 1 Kings. Yep. Uh, we will see, because of Israel's wicked kings, later on in 2 Kings, that they're judged quicker, and eventually they are taken captive by Assyria. So we will get into that next week. Uh, so on to how... Christ and his church is seen. So we talked already about David as, the type, as a type of Christ. We're going to talk about Solomon. Uh, King Solomon symbolizes the Lord Jesus Christ reigning in peace after a battle. Uh, our Savior, the Prince of Peace, uh, he is Shiloh, the pacifier, the peacemaker of the tribe of Judah. As God promised David, behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give, you peace, give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. So Solomon's kingdom is a picture of Christ in his kingdom. Um, the wisdom of Solomon foreshadows the wisdom of Christ in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And the temple is the dwelling place of God. Uh, the erecting the temple was Solomon's brightest moment. He, the detailing, the gold jewels, the fruit trees, all kind of symbolize and echo back to the Garden of Eden, where God and man dwelt peacefully. The temple, after Jesus' death and resurrection, become, become, became our bodies, uh, where the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And the temple also points and gives us hope for our eternal, eternal, eternal dwelling place. The moment Christ's body was torn on the cross, so was the veil of Jerusalem, uh, and the temple was torn. We'll get into application here. I'm going to start with um, marriage to the ungodly, or the dangers of being unequally yoked. Uh, there are multiple examples throughout the Bible about uh, what this will lead to and how this could lead us astray. We see how Solomon's many wives and concubines uh, from the surrounding nations caused him to turn his heart away from God. 
this was this was uh, this was King Solomon. He was wise. He was the wisest man in the world, and he fell into temptation because of his foreign wives. So how how does this apply to us? A lot of us are married. Um, so we're, you're like Carter. Why does this matter? Um, well, you have you have kids, right? Some of you, maybe. Yeah, a lot of you. Um, some of you aren't married yet. This is an important thing. It's, it's, uh, it's a warning to us throughout Scripture that um, we are to seek men and women who are equally yoked, who first and foremost love the Lord. Um, and this, this is important. It's important to, to tell our kids about it, to, to tell them that it's important. Um, they need to hear us praying for their future spouses, that they would love God. Um, I was challenged early on to pray for my kids' future spouses. It sounds weird. I have my oldest is a seven-year-old, but God does outside of time. Uh, he already knows who their spouse is, so we need to be doing that. Um, and it's 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 a good and, and faithful thing to to trust that God will grow up faithful spouses and for our children. So just a, just a thought on that. Does anyone else have any thoughts on this? If not, it's okay. Uh, just like how God blesses us when we ask for wisdom and how he just gives it abundantly. Yeah. Absolutely. Indeed. Okay. Next, we're going to talk about the result of coveting and lust. We see clearly what happens when you love things and love uh, pleasure. It will cause you to turn away from God. Um, you young men and women, don't listen to the world. The world will tell you, do whatever feels, whatever feels right. Just do it, because you deserve it. If you want to you have sex, do it. Uh, you want your neighbor's wife, go get her. But no, this is, this is wicked. It will cause you to turn away from God. It won't cause you to be happy. Um, it will cause you to serve the gods of this world. And this will cause you to not understand God's truth. It will cause you to be blind and to be misled in really every aspect of your life. Um, you can't just do whatever you want and then come to God when, whenever you want. It's, it doesn't work that way. Uh, we see that with Saul. He, he turned away from God. He, he tried to come to God when he really needed him, and God turned, turned away. So if you covet, if you lust, the Lord will eventually give you over to this sin. So turn away. There is hope, right? We have, we have many verses in Scripture that give us hope to overcome this, this wicked sin. Uh, he's redeemed us. He has broken our shackles. The Lord Jesus Christ has done it for us. And he is, he is our, he's our hope in this. Um, so cling to the promises. Trust that God is good and will give you a way out of temptation. And then we'll get into how God answers the prayers of the righteous. 
Elijah was a great prophet of God. He saw God do some pretty incredible things. He saw ravens bring him breakfast. It's, that's wild. Um, he, for 40 days, he kept him alive. He also called on God to do some pretty incredible things. He, he, and he expected these things to come true. So what, what, are we, what are we asking God for? Big things. And, and are we expecting these things to come true? I think we need to have a bigger understanding, a better understanding of God's power and God's and the power of, of prayer and that he wants to answer our prayers. He wants to give us good gifts. So with that, we see in 1 Kings the result of giving into the, the passions of the world. We see what happens when a great and powerful king turns his heart away from a great and powerful God. Judgment will come. But we also see God's promises. We see his, his light shining through. If we put our, our trust in anything but God, it, it won't work. We will perish. But if we trust in God wholeheartedly and live for him, he will sustain us. And this, this points to the hope that uh, is in Jesus. So with that, can you pray for us, Sam? Thank you for listening to Truth and Life. If you enjoyed the series, please subscribe. And remember, from Genesis to Revelation, every book is truth to live by.